that controversial for some. In many houses, the jigsaw puzzle can be a source of uh, strife, frustration, fighting. John Spillsbury, not to be confused with Pillsbury, created the jigsaw puzzle in 1767. He was a map maker and an engraver, and a few uh, months ago, Mo Rocca on CBS This Morning, when we were all sitting at home watching church, um, did this great piece on the history of the jigsaw puzzle, because the jigsaw puzzle, of course, exploded uh, as we were all sitting at home trying to figure out how we were going to live our lives, staring at each other and the walls. Some of us renovated things, some of us put together jigsaw puzzles. The jigsaw puzzle is a fascinating thing because during the Depression, it actually took off because people could buy a cheap saw and they could cut out pieces of wood that were different uh, art pieces. And, and I think for most people, the jigsaw puzzle is either a love, hate, love, or hate. As I was thinking about jigsaw puzzles t- uh, this last week, I thought, I shouldn't get anything too controversial, right? Because, I mean, let's be honest. There's some controversial jigsaw puzzles. This one is uh, puppy dogs, kitty cats, birds, butterflies, little chicks on a farm. I mean, how, I mean not controversial at all. And then I thought, well, how am I going to throw out these jigsaw puzzles because somebody could be injured? So then I thought, why not do something brand new? So I have stashed three jigsaw puzzles in the seats in front of you throughout the congregation. So those of you who are sitting maybe in a new spot think, Oh, this is now my spot, because clearly Eric left me a present and designating this now as my spot. So there are three out there, and you must find them before we can continue. (laughs) Come on. I know where they're at, and you can see them. You just have to... I know for some of us less mobile folks like myself, looking under the chair in front of me is a bit of a challenge, so maybe you could ask your more mobile friend next to you. Today we get to start something new. Hello? No one has found a single one of the three. Hey, we got one in the back. That one's perfect for you. It's 300 butterfly. It's a 300-piece butterfly one. I know you'll love it. I knew you'd sit there. That's why I put it there. There's two more out there. One has great meaning in it. This is really cutting into my sermon. Now I'm going to have to cut out the, the end of my sermon. Because it's so good. No? One is like right there. Right in there. And another one is right over there, right by you, Steve. Oh, my word. Lee, can we do the last song again so we can try this again? People can move around. So today we start the book of Hebrews. And William Lane, uh, the commentator, says Hebrews is the great biblical Puzzle. I love it because at some point someone's going to be like, oh, there it is. Yes. See, Steve. I mean, come on. Right there. And I knew you would sit there. And there is, it's like a flower one because I know you're into gardening and it's going to be awesome. And there's one more that is the best one of the whole morning. I had to give it to first service because first service is the best service. Don't tell anyone in second service that, but because I'll say the same thing to them. Meaning second service is the best service. So we are in the book of Hebrews. So imagine this. It's the 60s, like the actual 60s. (laughs) You're living in either Jerusalem or Rome, 
and you've, you've come, to, come to faith in this thing called Christianity. Maybe you've converted from Judaism. Maybe you were a Gentile that converted to Judaism, and now you've heard about Jesus and the gospel, and, and, and you've come to faith in Jesus Christ. And so you're living your life as a follower of Jesus Christ, except you're living in this Hellenistic world where there's all these pressures that are coming at you, cultural influences that you're wrestling with, And frankly, after you start something, there comes a point in time where you say, maybe let's go back. Because, I mean, this thing was cool, it was new, but, but let's just go back. Let's go back to the way things used to be. Let's go back to living our lives the way we used to. Have, has anyone said that recently? Let's just take a pause here. It's a fascinating question. Oh, I just wish things would go back. To which I want to say... To like, to like what point? Like pre-smartphone or like pre-rotary phone? <laughs> Let's go back. So like, like pre-electric car or like pre-car? So like we all just ride our horses here, right? Or walk or ride the buggy. Let's go back like pre-refrigeration. No. Let's go back to when it used to be so easy like before we actually lived in houses. <laughs> no, nobody says that. So what do we mean when we say, let's go back? Well, the folks in Hebrews are wrestling with this. What do we do? Because this thing called Christianity, we're getting pressure from people. We're hearing different things from outside sources. And maybe this faith in Christianity and Christ, maybe it's not all it's cracked up, cracked up to be. So let's just go back to living the way we used to live, like our neighbors live in this Hellenistic culture. And, and sure, maybe we'll just go back to being Jews and we'll still worship Yahweh. But let's go, let's go back because, frankly, I'm not really into this Christianity thing and I'm not sure I believe it. So that is the atmosphere in which Hebrews is written into. This, this culture, this Culture that says, I'm not sure if I'm fully committed to this thing called faith in Christ. Now, we know that Hebrews is a letter, even though it's not a letter. And it was written to a church at a particular time. And how do we know this? There's clues that we're going to unpack as we go. But how does Hebrews start? Well, very much like Star Wars. You didn't realize that Star Wars is actually biblical. Now, when I say Star Wars, I mean the OG Star Wars, Episode 4. Because anyone who says Star Wars is other than Episode 4, 5, and 6, well, we're praying for them. Long ago, at many times and in many ways, this is, this is how this book starts. And there's this great, great YouTube video where a guy took the whole book of Hebrews put it to the entry music of Star Wars, and shaped it as if it was the beginning of Star Wars, but it's all Hebrews. Long ago, at many times, and in many ways. Because what the writer of Hebrews is going to do is he is going to give us, or she, we actually don't know, they are going to give us this history of where things were, and how things are post-Christ. 
So throughout the book, we're going to get these references to the old way, meaning Judaism. We're going to get many references to Old Testament scripture. And he or she, the writer, is going to reflect, but now it looks like this. Much like in the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus says, you have heard it said this way, but I tell you this. So the writer starts this letter with long ago at many times and in many ways. One of the great things about the writer of Hebrews is it is the most eloquently written Greek text of the whole New Testament. And at many times, <laughs> the writer of Hebrews doesn't care about citing their sources. He'd be like, I think somewhere it's written this way. Like, no, you know exactly where it was written, but you've chosen to uh, not give us the specific reference. So who wrote this letter? It's interesting because um, Origen, one of the uh, original, maybe the original theologian of the early church, when thinking about who wrote the book of Hebrews, says this. Who wrote the epistle? God knows the truth. Period. And almost every commentator starts out with that, and then they proceed to spend 25 pages arguing for Paul, or was it Luke, or was it Clement of Rome, or was it Apollos, or maybe it was Priscilla and Aquila. You just said we have no idea. So what are you doing? They're like, I'm getting paid, man. <laughs> E.F. Scott said of Hebrews, it is the riddle of the New Testament we do not know who wrote this letter, but we do believe that it was written between 60 and 70 because we know that the destruction of the temple happens in the 70s, and he doesn't or she doesn't reference the destruction of the temple. In fact, there's all this literature, language about sacrifices, and that is not in here. The destruction of the temple, more than likely, written uh, in the 60s. And it's written to this church. And it's written to a large metro church. It's either written to Rome or to those living in Jerusalem. It doesn't really matter where or who it was written to. The impact and the truth of the text is monumental. So a friend of mine uh, owned Zizers, and so he brought this puzzle over, and it was this little 250-piece uh, wood puzzle, and it was this herringbone of all these different colors, and I thought, what is this? 250 pieces? <laughs> How hard is this going to be? And then we proceeded to spend hours <laughs> putting it together, and you're like, it's just herringbone colors. So why was it so hard? Well, because the beauty of those puzzles, you're like, why didn't you throw any of those out? Because they're $40. <laughs> Man's got a budget. The beauty of those puzzles is in the, com the complexity creates the beauty of the puzzle, and the beauty is in the simplicity of the picture. And so in the puzzle of Hebrews, we ask ourselves, what is the picture? And the picture is, are you ready for it? Anybody got a guess? 
Come on, we're in church. Yes, thank you, Val. Woohoo, score. Whoever hasn't found the third puzzle, it goes to Val. Yep, that's yours. It's Jesus. And so it's interesting because we ask ourselves, who is your favorite Jesus? Have you ever thought about this? Like, is your favorite Jesus the eight-pound, six-ounce Christmas baby Jesus? Is your favorite Jesus uh, the Jesus feeding all the people? Is your favorite Jesus the one who's healing? Is your favorite Jesus the one who's on the cross? Is your favorite Jesus the one who is resurrected? Or, as they discussed on the Holy Post, is your favorite Jesus the table-flipping Jesus? Okay, there we go. In Hebrews, we get the true picture of who Jesus is. We get this masterful Christology of who Jesus is in the beginning, before the beginning, throughout his life, what he does through his death and resurrection, and it's this masterful picture of who Jesus is into eternity. Which, consequently, we're going to spend some time on this summer when we go through our Trinity class starting on June 2nd. Shameless pug for five weeks of the Trinity. One other commentator talks about what exactly is the writer of Hebrews doing in Hebrews. And they say it is a combination of exposition and exhortation. See, in verse 22 of 13, those of you who like to go to the end of the book, before you start reading the beginning of the book, this one's for you. Verse 22 of chapter 13, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, bear with my word of exhortation, for I have written to you briefly. And it's fascinating because when we hear some of these words like exhortation, And this idea of exposition, we're like, okay, tell me, say it more simply. It's basically like looking at the text and explaining what is happening in the text and then giving a challenge from the text. So Hebrews is a sermon that is 13 chapters long about what God has been doing throughout history and how we should respond to that. And the great thing is, I came across this new word, and I was talking to Derek about this, and I said, I've never heard of this word, so I had to look it up. It's called aural, and he's like, oh yeah, of course, that's hearing. I'm like, yes, it is. (laughs) Because Hebrews was meant to be read aloud as one consecutive large sermon. So I don't know what you got planned for today, (laughs) but I figure we should probably just get started. One of the great things about Hebrews is it is meant to be consumed in one sitting. And so I've been trying to challenge myself to listen to Hebrews in one consecutive swoop. So I challenge you to that. Maybe this week you put in your headphones, or if you're like me who's trying to save your ears, you put on a hooded sweatshirt, you put your phone in your hood, And then as you walk, you can hear without being penetrated directly into your ear canal. Is that not brilliant? The staff thought it was pretty brilliant. 
and I thought it was pretty brilliant. Murphy is still on the fence. But it is meant to be listened to throughout and is this discussion of what God has done, the truths of what God has done throughout history and how we are to respond to them. Because everything that he says about the history of God and and the church and Judaism and Christianity is meant to move us forward to having an impact on how we live today. It's fascinating. Because it's not just to gain cognitive information and then to walk away thinking, okay, this is going to be radical, right? What we read in the Bible should actually have an impact on our lives. Oh, what? Right? I mean, how many of us came in this morning thinking, I have to greet two people because Eric said that last week because Paul said it thousands of years ago. How many times do we read a passage in Scripture and we think, oh, like, I actually have to do this. When we read in Scripture the truth in verse 5 of chapter 10 about who Jesus is, consequently when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body that you prepared for me, and burnt offerings and sin offerings you have taken no pleasure The words in Hebrews should have a lasting impact on how we live our lives. When we affirm the truth of who Jesus Christ is, and and the words that Christ says, it's not about these burnt offerings and sin offerings. It's about a transformed life. And if we read this and hear this, it should have an impact on how we move forward. You ever try and do a puzzle by yourself? Some of you are like, Chris and Tori are like, all the time. All the time. When they're fishing, when they're hunting, when they're thinking about fishing or hunting. It's just not as much fun. Because part of the puzzle opportunity is to put something together in this collective thing because when you sit on this side of the table and I sit on this side of the table, you have a different view of the puzzle. And then when we get somebody to sit on this side of the table and somebody to sit on this side of the table, then they have a different view of the puzzle. And we're all looking at the same puzzle trying to fit pieces together, and we're all working together. 
And then you get the outlier that's like, yeah, I'm not really into puzzles. The mudge. And they come over and they're like, oh, oh that goes there. Uh, that goes there. Yep, that goes right there. You're like, come on, either in or out. Because right now, you're really messing with the vibe of the puzzle we got going on here. And the writer of Hebrews says, we are in this thing together. In verse 24 of chapter 10, they say, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And then goes on to say, therefore, chapter 12, verse 1, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame, and he is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. And it's fascinating because it is all about being in this thing together. And how do we understand the concept of faith in Christ lived out through a communal expression that is the church, which we were talking about last week? And how does our effort and how does our life affect the rest of the body? Because the life in Christ is meant to be a life in community. It is not a life in isolation. The individualized concept of going through life is not a concept that comes from Scripture. Everything in Scripture is about the community and the body, and what I do affects the rest of the body. And the writer of Hebrews says, no, 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 let us not stop meeting together. The church is being pulled apart and pulled in different directions. Let us not stop meeting, being together. <laughs> being together so that we can share in this thing called collective faith. Why? Verse 2 of chapter 1. Therefore, we must pay, pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away from it. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable and every transgression of disobedience received a just retribution, how, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? It was declared at first by the Lord, and it was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs and wonders and various miracles and by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed to his will. What an amazing Trinitarian passage. Did I mention we're doing that this summer? June 2nd. Join us. It'll be great. Part of what happens when we gather together is we gather around Scripture and draw together around this thing called faith and put this thing together. Because there are 
many, many opportunities to be pulled apart and to be pulled in different directions and to hear things and to be drawn into things that will lead us astray from the truth of Jesus Christ. Pay much closer attention to what we have heard. The goal of Philippians is about, or Philippians. <laughs> the goal of Hebrews is for a church body to gather around the truth and, and, and to draw together and to live this faith out. And so that is the hope as we go throughout this book. The worst puzzle I ever got was from my cousins. And uh, it was a mystery puzzle. And so in order to solve the mystery, you had to put the puzzle together. But you didn't know what the puzzle was supposed to look like. My cousins were actually a lot more astute, smart than we were into music and that sort of stuff. We never did finish that puzzle. <laughs> to this day, when I think of that puzzle, I become less than excited. I don't know where you're at with puzzles, but I do know, hopefully, where we're at with this text. In verse 19 of chapter 10, Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the holy place by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near to the true heart in full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. For he who promised is faithful. We're going to enter into this journey of this puzzle of Hebrews. And at times it's going to seem confusing, and at times we're going to say, ah. But we can stick through this together. And ask ourselves every single time we enter into the text, what is it that the writer of Hebrews wants me to do as a result of knowing the truth that exists in this passage? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning beginning of this journey through the book of Hebrews in this letter that is a sermon that is beautiful and challenging and deep and wide, at times mysterious. And it is our prayer that as we hear your word, as we hear the words of the writer of Hebrews, that your spirit would be moving in us and prompting us on how that we should be acting and living 
differently. Holy Spirit, may we hold fast to this truth. May you do what you do in a way of binding us together as a collective body. As we seek to understand, Jesus, who you are and what you have done and what you continue to do. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.